So, we've been in a series we've kind of called Simple here recently. Um, not necessarily in deference to the church, but just uh, talking about the fact that some of the things, the truths that we need to embrace, some of the truths that, that we don't necessarily always pay attention to are very, very simple. Um, one of the things I think that, that is a very simple truth is when we look at our lives and we look and we see, where do we turn? So I kind of, if you, this sermon had a subtitle, it would be, where do you turn? Um, I, I think that everybody, in some way and in some form or fashion, when bad things happen in their life, they turn to God in some way. They start asking questions, maybe. They'll start saying, all right, why is this happening? This is beyond my understanding. I need to find out why this is happening. Or if I can't understand it and there's nothing I can do to understand it, then I have to turn to God so that God can remedy this situation in my life. Um, I, I, I've recently been dealing with a family that uh, they had someone pass away. He, he had a heart attack and he was struggling and, and they were really trying to, to do everything that they could, but they knew things were out of their control. They knew things were out of their, their hands, so they would ask everybody to pray. Um, I would say based on the testimony of this family's life, they really didn't spend most of their life praying. Praying was something relatively new, and it was relatively new because uh, this person was sick and in the hospital, and that's the reason that they prayed. And, and do I think that that's a bad thing? No, I do not. I don't think that that's a bad thing. I think that it's good that people turn to God when, when bad things happen in their life. But I also think what a lot of people are missing is the turn towards God for everything. Not just the bad things, but also the good things. Not, not just the terrible things that enter into our lives, but also seeking wisdom from God, seeking the path for our life, I think that we need to turn to God for those things too. I think that we only turn to God for the bad things. We don't turn to God for everything. And I think that's tragic that that happens. Uh, my family and I recently took a trip to California. We were in Disneyland, which is in Anaheim, California. And just like other parts of the country that I've been to, I've seen this a lot recently, that the Jehovah's Witnesses have a little stand set up with their their, their, their pamphlets and flyers and all kinds of stuff. And they even had this little uh, little sign standing up there. It's like, will the Bible give you answers? Will the Bible answer your, your questions? All these, these things that they say. And they'll, they'll tout that it's from the Bible, right? The, the problem with Jehovah's Witnesses, just to be perfectly frank with you, is that they pick and choose which pieces of the Bible they choose to believe. Um, that's one of their struggles, and that's one of the things that they don't, they don't get, is the fact that they don't believe the whole truth. Now, like a lot of Christians today, they only believe a half-truth. Like when you go to hear a sermon, this is a self-help sermon, you know what I mean? Like, not to say that self-help sermons are bad, but if you only preach self-help sermons and you don't tell people the truth about their sin and their struggles, then you're only giving them a half-truth, then they only believe about half of God. You got It's got to be the whole truth. And, and here, these, these Jehovah's Witnesses have these little booths set up, and I saw this, this, this guy coming up to them, and, and I, I can remember hearing... Uh, as I've talked to Jehovah's Witnesses myself, one of the, the ways that they, they connect with people is say, okay, somebody's having financial struggles. Uh, and, and also, by the way, the Scientologists do the same thing. Uh, they're having financial struggles. They're having relationship struggles. And, and they connect with people and say, okay, well, come over here and we can talk to you and we can help you. And the Scientologists will even have, have classes that you can take on building relationships or helping yourself out financially and all this kind of stuff. And they're drawing people in by these problems that they have in their life. And the reality is, you know what people need in their life? They need Jesus Christ. 
They need him on the inside and the outside, everywhere around them. They need prayer to be part of their daily life when things are good, when things are bad, when they don't know which way to turn, when, they, when, they, when they're trying to understand what, what it is they're supposed to do with their lives, even the little decisions in their life. Like, I know, I know a lot of people, we pray when, when, when somebody has a heart attack or when somebody has a health condition in their life or when somebody dies, we pray a lot. My question is, do we pray the same amount when we go to buy that brand new car? Do we pray the same amount when we go to, to make that house purchase before we sign the mortgage paperwork? Do, do you stop and say, as a family, we need to pray about this and see if this is the place that God would have us to live, if this is the mortgage that God would have us to have? Are we, are we praying about those kinds of things too? You see, what we need more of in our life is to seek the wisdom of God. We need to turn towards Him everywhere. Not just part of the time. Every time. As you're walking around your house and you're thinking about things going on in your life. And you think about, man, i got to do this and i got to do that. And this is, this is struggle. And, man, i got to go back to work. Are you, are you constantly talking to God about those things? Are you constantly bringing those before Him and saying, you know what? It's not me. It, it, it's, it's God in me. Why am I struggling and stressing and all these things, God? When I should just be seeking more of God, why should I be turning towards God for everything? And we see the disciples of Jesus Christ. They struggle with this just like we do, okay? Um, they, got, they got their own struggles just like each and every one of us do. Some of their struggles are unique to their personality. Some of them are the kind of struggles everybody has. And there would be large groups of people that would follow Jesus around because he would do some cool tricks. Okay? I mean, admittedly, Jesus would do some, some he'd have five loaves and two fishes and like fill a whole, feed a whole stadium full of people. You know? Uh, he, he would just, he, he would break the bread and, and break the fish and before you know it, man, it was a buffet like you've never seen before. And they were like, man, this is good. We are hungry. We come to Jesus. He's going to feed us. We, we, we need some food. We just come to this guy and he's got the answers. I like that. Because I get hungry, and I really would rather not have to do anything for that hunger. I'd rather just somebody else feed me. And they would swarm around Jesus. Or maybe he would, there would be a sick person. He'd lay, their hand, his, lay his hands on them, and they would get healed. And they're like, man, that's a cool trick. I like the fact that Jesus can do these things. So they would follow him around like he's a, like he's a rock star kind of thing. And there would be tons and tons of people that would do that. And then Jesus would have to say, okay, now let's get real. Do you, do you see me as somebody that can just perform some good tricks, some cool things that can put food in your belly and make you not feel hungry? Or do you really see me as the Messiah that I am, that I am really the one from God? Because if I'm really the one from God, then you're going to need me for more than just healing the sick or filling your stomachs up. You're going to need me completely inside. You're going to have to completely consume me. I'm going to have to be on the inside of you. And when I teach you stuff, it's going to be hard. And it's going to be hard for you to digest. It's going to be hard to swallow some of the things that I'm saying. Because I'm going to tell you, you're going to have to go and you're going to have to, to be willing to give up your own life to come and follow me. And Jesus would say these things. And people would say, no, not so much. I like you for the good stuff, Jesus. I turn to you for the good stuff. I turn to you when I need something. But for the rest of everything else, for the hard stuff... When, when you start giving us hard teaching, when you start telling us that, that the struggles that we're having in our lives are actually for our good and for your glory, yeah, I don't want that. I want to turn the other way. 
And, and the, the, the people that followed Jesus, they did this, right? Jesus would have hard teaching for them, and he would tell them things that they really, maybe they didn't even completely understand because they weren't really paying attention and listening, or, or maybe they haven't, like, truly come to, to faith in, in, in God, and, and they struggled to understand these things. And they would say, no, it's too much. Thanks, Jesus. I'll go my own way. That's one of the hardest things to see in ministry. Uh, I've been in ministry, I was thinking about it, like, 2020 would be about 13 years in ministry for me, roughly speaking. I mean, you know, small group leaders, whatever, you know, I was doing before then. But actually being, quote, unquote, in ministry has been about 13 years. And some of the hardest things to see is to look back over the years to, like, students especially. You know, I was in youth ministry for a long time, college ministry after that. And seeing students that used to be so close to Christ and so close to God, seeking God with everything that they have. And, and, and really, I mean, they, they would run to a Wednesday night service to see them they haven't been in church in three years they, ha they haven't they haven't opened their Bible in 12 you know I mean to just see that kind of stuff it's like that's one of the hard, hardest things to, to witness it's one of the most heartbreaking things to witness people that that, that, that were that turned to Jesus for a little while but then they turned away forever which by the way is the only unforgivable sin right you know, they talk about blaspheming the Holy Spirit, right? That's the big churchy phrase to say. There's one unforgivable sin, and that is to blaspheme the Holy Spirit. Okay, what does that mean? Okay, that's a big churchy word. That's a big seminary word. What does blaspheming the Holy Spirit mean? It's just this simple. God revealing the truth to you, but you continually turn away from that truth. God continually revealing to you that He is the Messiah, He is the answer, He is everything that you need, and you're continually turning away from that. It's a constant turning away from the truth of God. It's the only unforgivable sin. Why? It's because God has offered a sacrifice. He has offered His Son, Jesus, to pay the penalty for your sins. And if you reject that, then you spend eternity separated from Him. My prayer and my hope is that what you will see today is that as we look at the scripture, that we have one choice. That there is one choice for us, and that is to turn towards Jesus. And that is not to just turn towards Jesus for a little while to get our bellies full or our prayers for what we think that we need answered. It's to turn towards Jesus when things are difficult, when things are hard, when we aren't getting what we think that we need in our prayers, when we aren't getting those things answered. We still turn to Jesus and we say, Jesus, you are the answer no matter what. Even if life sucks, you're the answer. Even if everything's going the wrong way, even if people, everybody around me is dying, everybody that I love is dying, you are still the answer, and you're still the one that I'm most in love with, and I care more about following you than I care about anything else. That's the kind of relationship Jesus desires with us. One where everything else falls into the background, and it's him and him alone. Now, I don't know why I keep turning this way, like Jesus is standing beside me, but like... You get what I'm saying, right? I'm going to do that the rest of the sermon. I'll just turn it this way, like Jesus is standing right here. So picture Jesus over here, okay? Us turning towards Jesus for everything. That's what we need. The people that follow Jesus, they struggle with Because Jesus started talking about stuff like eating his flesh and drinking his blood. And they started freaking out a little bit. They're like, we're not into cannibalism. I don't know what you're talking about, dude, but, but this sounds a little strange to us. We're not really... Digging, and we're, we're not picking up what you're putting down, okay? So that's, we're going to kind of jump right into the middle of the story here where Jesus has been talking about this. He's talking about, 
Your ancestors, they ate manna from heaven and, and they died, but I'm telling you that, that I've got bread that you can eat and you'll live forever and it's my flesh. And they're like, whoa. Because they're thinking about physically eating the bread, the manna that was provided to their ancestors to sustain their life. And Jesus starts talking metaphorically about his life and his flesh and how it will be a sacrifice for them and they need to digest that they need to swallow that they need to internalize that and they're not getting it they're just not getting it so it says in john chapter 6 beginning of verse 52 is where it will be today it says then the people began arguing with each other about what he meant how can this man give us his flesh to eat they asked so jesus said again like, look, I am trying to tell you, I'm trying to get you to understand. I mean, I, I think that the patience of God is so very evident in here, the fact that he says it again. So that those that have ears to hear will truly hear what he said. He says, I tell you the truth. Well, I mean, how many sermons could we preach over those five words? I tell you the truth. Jesus, the Son of God, He tells you the truth. Now, we'll listen to a thousand other voices before we listen to the truth of God. We'll listen to ten people at Walmart and what they have to say versus listening to the truth of God. We'll listen to a thousand voices in our head that tell us the wrong thing as opposed to listening to one true voice that is the voice of God. It seems like the voice of God is the one that we listen to less and, and, and we turn to every other voice in the world and every other truth in the world as opposed to the one truth that comes from God and that's in his word I swear it's like sometimes we go in here and the word goes in one ear and out the other and it's like we never even heard what was said on Sunday mornings but something that somebody said to us at the grocery store will stick in our minds for a month and a half Jesus says I tell you the truth I tell you the truth anytime you see it written in red in your book it's the truth. I tell you the truth. Unless you eat the flesh of the Son of Man and drink His blood, you cannot have eternal life within you. Whoa. Whoa. The silence of the lambs go on, right? Like It's like, what are you talking about, Jesus? Like, eat your flesh and drink your blood? And Jesus, is, He's teaching in a hard way. Because really, I mean, I, I, you have to understand that if you really internalize what God is saying here, it's hard. It's really, really hard. It's way harder than thinking about cannibalism. What Jesus is saying is you've got to take the truth and put it so much inside of you that it's almost like you're eating it and digesting it. And even beyond that, it's the thing that sustains you. That hunger that you feel in your belly, you think that's bad. It's, it's nothing in comparison to the hunger that you feel in your soul. You'll seek anything and everything to kind of fill up that soul hunger that you have. And he's saying, you know what? I'm the thing that you need to fill up that soul hunger that you have. If you really want to be filled, if you really want to have what you need, it comes from my flesh and my blood, and it leads to eternal life. So they, I think it's cool that they stick around and then Jesus explains it again, but he doesn't change the message. He just says, I'm telling you the truth. You've got to eat my flesh and drink my blood to have eternal life. Anyone who eats my flesh and drinks my blood will 
has eternal life, and I will raise that person up the last day. For my flesh is true food. And my blood is true drink. Jesus is reiterating once again that we seek to fill ourselves with so many things that aren't of God. And, and Jesus says, you know what I'm, I'm saying here is that you need to fill your life with what is true. And what is true is me. The reality of my flesh and my blood. The reality that my flesh and my blood are going to pay the penalty for your sins. That, that you're looking for answers. You're looking for something to fill your soul. The only answer is me. You can turn a thousand different places and look a thousand different ways. But the only way that, that you will find truth is when you turn to my flesh and my blood. Because it is true food and true drink. Anyone. He says anyone. Anyone who eats my flesh and drinks my blood remains in me and I in him. He says, this is the reality of coming to faith in Christ. This is the reality of embracing Jesus. And that is that, that you are now in Christ and Christ is now in you. Can you, you we just sang a song called, I'm no longer a slave to fear. Why would we need to be a slave to fear if Christ is in us and we are in Christ? He's got us covered inside and out. Why would we have to have fear? What do we have to fear? It's not even death. I mean, even death, it, it, which life only lasts for a certain period of time, no matter what kind of ailment you suffer from or what kind of heartache you may have in this life, it only lasts for a period of time, probably about 80 years, if you're really lucky. And then you've got all of eternity to look forward to. What do you really have to fear? If you've truly eaten his flesh and drank his blood and the sustenance that you find in life comes from him, from him alone, what do you really have to fear? Because you are in him and he is in you. And he says, that's the way that you have eternal life. He says, anyone who eats my flesh and drinks my blood remains in me and I in him. I live because of the living Father who sent me. In the same way, anyone who, eat, who feeds on me will live because of me. I am the true bread that came down from heaven. Now he now he, he, he switches it a little bit. He says, I am, which everybody would in Jewish culture would associate with God because he refers to himself as the I am. So Jesus refers to himself over and over again. I am, I am. And now he's, he's talking about I am the one who came down from heaven, which is even harder for them to embrace because they thought that he was born by a chick named Mary, you know. And now he's telling them that, that he came down from heaven, which is even harder for them to hear. Anybody that would claim to be God in their day and their time would be worthy of being stoned. And like, you can't be God. There's no way that you can be God. There's no way that you can come down from heaven. And Jesus is telling them, I'm telling you the truth. I came down from heaven. He says, you, you, you think, and he makes reference to the manna, right? So he's putting in their minds the manna coming down from heaven because God sustained the people of Israel when he fed them when they were hungry in the desert. God fed them with manna. And here Jesus is saying, I am the man. I'm the one. I'm the thing that has come down from heaven to sustain you, to fill you up, to give you what you truly need. I am the true bread that came down from heaven. Anyone who eats this bread will not die as your ancestors did, even though they ate manna, but will live forever. These things, he, he said these things while he was teaching in the synagogue in Capernaum. <laughs> Jesus, 
is trying to say to these people, you thought it was cool when you had manna come down from heaven to sustain you, to sustain you because God had delivered you out of the hands of the Egyptians and you were in the desert and you were in the wilderness and you were wondering how you were going to live and you didn't know all these things and God literally fed you from heaven. He says, this is way bigger than that. This is way bigger than that. He says, I'm the one that's come down from heaven. I am the manna that you need to sustain you. I think a lot of times about, you know, Old Testament miracles and how cool it would be to see these things and how cool it would be to wake up and you got manna there for you to eat and all these kinds of things. And I think about, man, it would have been so cool to be there in that day and that time. And, and the reality is, how cool is it that we get to, to be in the presence of the one who came down from heaven? We get to read about the fact that Jesus came down from heaven, that God came down from heaven in the person of a man named Jesus and he is the manna that we need. He is the one that sustains us and gives us life. How cool is it that we get to live in this day, in this time? <laughs> Jesus is saying, what you've got now, it's far greater than what your ancestors had to pass with manna. That was nothing. That was nothing. They died. You can have eternal life. My flesh, my blood gives eternal life. And he's saying this while he's in the synagogue, which I think is interesting. You know, I often wonder why... God will put a little line in there, a little tagline in there. Like, I mean, I don't know if you've got it in your Bible, but in mine, like, it's one paragraph, and it's the last line of this, this little section. It says, these things, he said these things while he was teaching in the synagogue in Capernaum. In the synagogue. Which was their place to understand more about God. And, and, and many of the teachers in that day and that time, they would, they, they would have people that huddle around them, and they would listen, and and the, the rabbis would teach them about God, and, and that was their place of learning about God. And here, Jesus could have done this on a mountainside. He could have done this anywhere. He could have done this outside, under a tent, whatever. But Jesus is doing it inside the synagogue, saying, you know what? I am so convinced that this is real and this is true, and I'm giving you so much truth that I'm willing to do it inside the synagogue. Like, it would be one thing if somebody were to, to claim to be God and they were outside the synagogue. Everybody would be like, shh. We can just ignore that kook. He's over there and he's lost his mind. But this dude comes into the synagogue and he says, I'm any up. And I'm teaching this truth about the fact that I'm the one that has come down from heaven inside the synagogue. I mean, everybody would think, well, if this guy was lying, God's surely going to strike him down right here, right here in this place. And Jesus said, I am the true one. I am the one true, the bread of life that has come down from heaven. And I'm willing to say it inside the synagogue. Verse 60, this is where it gets heartbreaking. Many, many, what a heartbreaking word. Many of his disciples said, this is very hard to understand. How can anyone accept it? When, when Jesus teaches truth, there's a whole lot of people that will say, I don't know how anybody could accept this. This is too hard. I don't, I don't see how anyone in the world can accept this. And many people say that. And that's why you have many people go into places where the teaching isn't hard. Where the truth of God is not brought to you in, in a pure and in, in, in raw way. It's sugar-coated. It's watered down. Whatever you want to call it. Because it's hard. You know why? It's because many people want a watered-down, sugar-coated version of God. Very few people want the truth, just like Jesus brings the truth here. 
Many said, this is too hard. How can anyone accept what is being said here? Jesus was aware that his disciples were complaining, so he said to them, does this offend you? Anytime God asks a question in his word, it's not because he doesn't know. It's because he's given you an invitation. A question in God's word is simply an invitation. We have seen that a thousand times in, here at Simple Church. And I, I will repeat it every time we see a question in Simple Church. It is an invitation. And God is saying right here, does this offend you? God already knows it offends them. He sees what's going on in their brains. He says he is aware of their complaining. He knows what's going on in their brains. He can see straight to their soul and he can see straight to their minds. He's not aware. He's not unaware. God's not questioning. I, I need to know. Tell me if this offends you because I'm not aware. That's not what's going on here. Jesus is looking at these people saying, does this offend you? Is what I am saying offensive? Good is what Jesus is saying. Wonderful. That's exactly where you need to be. Come to me. Come to me. Is it offensive? Is it hard? Yes. Good. Awesome. That's exactly what I was going for. Then what will you think if you see the Son of Man ascend to heaven again? The Spirit alone gives eternal life. He, he even goes, this is what he's saying here. I know it's a little confusing. He says, then what will you think? Uh, if you see the Son of Man ascend to heaven again, he's like, what will it take to prove that I am God? Like, even if I went up to heaven, even if you saw me just like ascend to heaven, would that still convince you? Is that what you would need in order to convince you? You know, I, I think that, that even if Jesus would have ascended to heaven right there, if he had said, I'm going to prove that I'm God right here, right now, and I'm just going to ascend to heaven, you know what I think would happen? The same thing that happens here. The Spirit alone gives eternal life. Human effort accomplishes nothing. Human effort accomplishes nothing. And the very words I've spoken to you are spirit and life. I said, man, this is coming from the Spirit of God. It's, he is the one, the Spirit is the one that gives eternal life. Human effort cannot do it. The words I've spoken to you are spirit and life. But some of you do not believe. For Jesus knew from the beginning which ones didn't believe, and he knew who would betray him. Then he said, That is why I said to the people, The people can't come to me unless the Father gives them to me. Some people get stuck on that and they get really hung up on that. It's, do I choose God or does God choose me? And all that kind of garbage that people go back and forth about. You know what I see here? I, 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 see, I see people who have had. Their lives surrendered over to God. People that have embraced truth to God. And God has opened up their minds and opened up their hearts. And they're able to see God. They're able to see truth and embrace truth. And all of those kinds of things. And I see both sides. I see God doing the work. And people having some input in there. And then I see sometimes I see God doing all the work. And, and people having no input into what's going on here. I see both sides of that. And you know what? I don't really care. The reality is, is that God does the work and we have this chance to respond to God and the work that he's doing. We have this chance to be able to come to God and say, yes, I embrace because he says that anyone, anyone who eats this bread will not die as your ancestors did. At this point, many of his disciples turned away and deserted him. Jesus 
many of his disciples. People that had followed Jesus around and listened to what he had to say. And at some point, maybe they didn't even embrace truth. It's one of the things I see in ministry. I see people that will be so on fire for Jesus and they'll be so in love with what God has to say and they'll be so overwhelmed by the God's truth that, man, they're just like, I want to go into the shopping malls and share Jesus with everybody that's there. And that's usually immediately after a youth camp. And then in about six months, they won't even say the name Jesus inside their schools. <coughs> They're like, man, I am so on fire for God. I am so all about Jesus. I, 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 man, every decision that I make needs to be about whatever God wants me to do. They embrace that truth. But they don't stay turned towards that truth. They turn towards themselves. They turn away from that truth. And, and, and I, I think what Jesus desires for us is for us to stay fixed on Him, our eyes and our hearts fixed on Him, and follow Him with everything. So that when you do sign those mortgage papers, you go, God, is this what you'd have us to do? When you do buy that, that car, God, is this what you'd have me to do? Is this going to glorify you with how I'm spending my money? Is this going to glorify you with, with how I'm living my life? Jesus desires for us to be so committed in, in our following of Him that, that everything in our life points to Jesus. That's what it means to truly internalize His flesh and His blood and the sacrifice that He has made. And Jesus turned to the twelve and asked. So Jesus has got all these people that are following Him. Many of them leave. And then He goes to His, his boys, His homeboys over here and says, Look, to you guys, are you going to leave too? Is that what's about to happen? Now, is Jesus unaware of if they're going to leave or not? Is he questioning, man, I don't know. Maybe they're going to leave. Maybe they're going to stay. No, of course not. It's an invitation for them. It's an invitation. Like He's like, hey, if you're going to really follow me, now's the time. It's the line in the sand, if you will. You either follow me or you don't. If the teaching is hard, you follow me. If the teaching is easy, you follow me. Either way, if things are going good, follow me. If things are going bad, follow me. If they've crucified me and they're going to crucify you, follow me anyway. And I know full well that the disciples ran away when Jesus was headed on his way to the cross. I get that. But you know what? They spent the rest of their lives walking the way Jesus had walked and giving their lives for the gospel of Jesus Christ and the message that he was bringing. Simon Peter replied, this is profound, I feel like. Simon Peter was an idiot in a lot of ways, you know, like me. But every once in a while he would say something strong and good. And he says, Lord, to, to whom would we go? You have the words that give eternal life. We believe and we know you are the Holy One of God. That's the question today. To whom would we go? To whom would we go? To whom would we turn? To what truth will we turn towards? To what truth will we embrace? Where are we going to go? Where are you going to go? And you know, everybody likes to turn over a new leaf when the new year comes and, and you say, I'm going to do things differently this year. You know what I would hope and pray for for this church is that, that we would just be people that just follow God wherever he led us. That we would be people who just embrace whatever he said is truth and say, you know what, that's enough for me. Jesus, what you said is enough, and that, that's, that's enough for me to follow you. 
instead of going somewhere else and listening to something else, listen to the truth of God. I'm not talking about listening to me. If you listen to me, you're going to be messed up in a thousand different ways. I'm talking about listening to God. A constant communication line with the one true God who knows you inside and out. Talking with Him and following His leadership. When you need wisdom, you go to Him for that. When you have questions about what's going on in life, you go to Him for that. When things are bad, you go to Him for that. When things are good, you go to Him for that. Then Jesus said, I chose the twelve of you, but one is the devil. He was speaking of Judas, the son of Iscariot, Simon Iscariot, one of the twelve who would later betray him. Uh, once again, here's another little snippet that's thrown in, kind of at the end of, we're talking about following Jesus, eating his blood, uh, or eating his flesh, drinking his blood, and, and in, internalizing the truth of God, and embracing the one who gives us real truth, and all of that. And Simon Peter finally wraps it up, and we got this, this great crescendo at the end that says, to whom else are we going to go, Jesus? you got the words of eternal life. Where else are we going to go? Who else are we going to turn to? If we go away from you, where are we going to go? And it's great crescendo. And it's like a happily ever after kind of ending. Right? And God says, that's not life. Even Jesus chose these twelve to follow him. And one of them is going to betray him. And I don't want to get into the complicated thing of... Did God know he was going to do that beforehand? Of course he knew. Did he use that? Of course he did. Some people say, well, maybe he caused Judas to do that. I don't think he caused that. I think he used that. I think that each and every one of us have a choice about what we do and how we respond to God. And I believe that this guy was seeing Jesus as a means to an end. Just to fill his stomach and get whatever he wanted. And instead of Jesus being what he needed in his soul, he thought that money could fill that void for him. So he sold Jesus out. He thought, that's what I really need. Is some pieces of silver, right? That'll satisfy me. That'll get me what I need. And he's the one that kissed Jesus on the cheek and sent him to the cross. That's, that's life. That's reality. And even out of these 12, he said, we're not going anywhere else, Jesus. One of them was still one that sold him out and turned him over. That's the reality of life, folks. The reality that we're facing right now in our lives is this. That we hear this truth and we embrace this truth and we think, man, this is good truth and I want to I live that way. I want to live so that I'm one of those who go, you know what, Jesus, where else are we going to go? We, we, we don't have anywhere else that we can go. We have to go to you because you're the one that has everything that we need. And, and, and I, I believe that, that Jesus is the one that that sacrificed his life for me, and he's the one that, that gave everything so that I might have eternal life. I believe that truth, and I really embrace that truth. And maybe you even want to come down here and pray about that, the fact that you do love that truth. But my question to you is this. Is that we can come in here, we can fall down at an altar and shed a few tears down here and ask God to draw us back to him, and, and he'll do that. But is that the way you live your life every day? Is that just a one-time occurrence and you turn towards Jesus on Sunday, but then again on Monday, it's whatever you want, whatever you desire, whatever you're trying to fill your life with, or you're trying to fill your life with the truth of God. I, I think that for a lot of us, it's, it's just a here and now kind of thing. You know what? It can be different than that. You can embrace truth every single day of your life. You can embrace the reality of the cross every single day of your life. 
But you have to internalize it inside and out. You have to say, you know what, God, I'm going to take whatever you say to be true, and I'm going to make it true in my life, and I'm going to embrace it such that I live my life in a way that points towards your cross in your life. I believe that God gives us that choice. I believe he gives us an invitation. And he's, maybe he's asking this invitation today. Is this, does this offend you? The fact that you have to give everything to me? That you have to do things that look crazy to the world? Are you, are you so committed to follow me that you'll do anything that I ask? Does this offend you? Stay there in your arms and let you feel that. 